0: Hurry up, people. We're losing the light. Gather around, gather around. Okay, this is the scene where the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. In this scene, their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the organizations they work with. So your motivation for this scene is anything you hear on this podcast It sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Of course, you knew that, right? Because it's in the script. Okay, places, everybody. Lights. Quiet on set. Let's get it in this take this time. Camera rolling. Audio. Speed. And marker. UCAP disclaimer. Disclaimer. Scene 23, 23. take 4 and action where'd jack go
1: i'm still here i'm just enjoying this conversation i'm actually
0: <laughs> i'm
1: actually using this time to make sure i've got all my ducks lined up here and i just uh,
0: you know i'm just concerned we might need an adult soon
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> hmm. what is this bachelor is a pilot do we don't have a link to anything like that no for that
3: Oh the Bachelor. I know exactly what he's talking about.
0: Oh, this yeah. is like commercial. <laughs> this is like broadcast television. Broadcast television. It's the uh uh-huh.
1: The Bachelor. It's one of these reality shows. And uh the current season, which just began, uh, is uh they so they got a the guy, usually insanely good looking, and then they have like a bunch of women also insanely good looking. And and over the span of like however many episodes are in a season, all right, they, and by the way, I'm telling you this based on never ever having watched the show. This is based um. on from the commercials, All right? Um, they basically, you know, kind of eliminate, they you know vote people off the island kind of thing, and it gets down to the point where at the very end there's just the bachelor and one of these women and in theory they you know get married and live happily ever after or whatever and so yeah, the current right. season which apparently just began recently all right yeah. the bachelor is a pilot they're making a big deal out of fact he's a pilot all right there's actually one shot in the commercial where it shows them they're flying in some sort of small airplane and both weren't david clarks and it's very you know very, can, like David
0: Clark's. Yeah, can,
3: yeah. Actually, they are. They are in the because you know, hooray for Hollywood. But yeah, right. um, But I, I can, I, can I interject here? May I, please? Please, because
1: do you watch the show?
3: I do not watch the show, but being the mother of teenage daughters who watch anything that is purported to be real, because mom, it's real. Yeah, right. Okay. Despite how many times I've said it can't be real
0: if it's on television. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
3: I mean, it's like man versus wild, but he's out there by himself. No, he's not. He's got a camera who, crew.
0: Well, you know, it's like the, the there is this uh um Episode of um, um, Jesse James is a dead man or something that I, I don't watch, but this this uh, motorcycle magazine columnist did watch this particular episode where Jesse James is uh, uh, riding this motorcycle up this ice covered road in the Yukon to deliver medicine to this settlement out there in the middle of no god where and you know they got him riding down this this uh, uh... ice-covered road and the helicopter you know comes in and zooms in and does all this night nice little camera work and all this kind of thing and they do this three or four times during the program of course and it's clear to me that they've got this you know it is clear to the columnist i should say that they've got like three or four other vehicles in the in the uh, um, uh, in, in the production uh... group here and, and numerous people and whatnot plus a helicopter why didn't they just, you know, take the helicopter, put the vaccine on the helicopter and fly the damn helicopter I to know. the settlement? I know. No, it's it's just the whole thing is just ludicrous. I know. But but well, so
3: and they and they don't they don't yeah. vote the person off the show. It's better than that. He rejects each woman over time. So he has to eliminate from this huge yeah, it's, set. It's- each week, you know, another one. I mean, it's the it's the most horrendously sexist thing in the world. But then they do it's like get junior
4: out
2: high of That yeah, yeah but like they do it. They
4: do it in both they directions, it, of course. There's the Bachelor directions. and the,
1: all right. Hang on, hang on, one at a time. Um, there's the Bachelor and the Bachelorette.
2: So they are sexist I, in
1: equal yeah. directions. Amy, you got stepped on. Amy, continue.
3: That's okay, but but my point is, I'm laughing because they're playing on the stereotype. Of the the pilot being sexy, the male pilot being the sexiest you know guy in the world because he's got this glamorous job and you know and and I just find that to be so hysterical because all of us know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do we
3: know? Do we know, boys? Or is this just silence that I'm hearing? I don't think what? we know.
1: Tell us. Tell what? us. We're not I,
3: sexy. <laughs> no.
0: I, <laughs> well, I
2: don't know about no, you guys. No. But... I, I
0: know where Amy's headed first. First of all, is it, I have a question. though. is this guy a professional pilot, or is he just, here? Yeah. He just has yeah. no, his private he's, he's, license or something he's, like he's, that, he's and a he a does something else he's, for money. He's, he's a he's a professional pilot. He's
4: uh, I forget
0: corporate. I think.
3: Yeah, I think he's a corporate pilot. Well, no
0: wonder and, he needs it. Yeah, I
3: mean <laughs> okay. they're so clueless to what what real life. For a
1: corporate pilot is. By the way, you know this could have been one of us, all right? Do Do you remember this? This was a thing at Oshkosh a couple Uh, summers ago. I wasn't
4: going to tell you guys about
1: the phone call I had to turn down. (laughs) Yeah. They didn't what? realize. Sorry. They didn't realize I was married. Already. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. No. 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 There was a, a buzz went around Oshkosh one year, especially through the newsroom at the newspaper, that uh, that the Bachelor people were auditioning pilots to be to be the star that's of an upcoming correct. season. Yeah, and said uh, And so there was like you know there was a press release floating around that that this is how you go about auditioning you know and uh, wow. I, I decided that they'd have to do without me. I was me.
0: spoken for at the time, but they didn't they didn't call me back. <laughs>
1: Well, that's just bad planning on your part, then. Anyways, this whole subject, I can, I apologize, is perilously, uh, uh, you know, not really an aviation story. But here's how I want to make it an aviation story. Um, <laughs> I, I confess that there are a couple of quote unquote reality shows, or there is a style of reality show that I kind of enjoy. All right, um, the the kind of great granddad of this is Deadliest Catch. You ever watch Deadliest Catch? Ah, um,
3: uh, no, yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. And there's a handful of these now where they find some sort of, you know, dangerous or appear, you know, seemingly dangerous, uh, occupation, and then they send a camera crew out to like shoot a whole bunch of people for a while. All right. And it's kind of fun TV. I enjoy watching it. Um, my current favorite, by the way, is uh, what's it called? It's called Deep Sea Salvage, which is kind of cool because there's a lot of heavy equipment I, involved.
4: I picked up on that because I used to work in a shipyard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
4: there's a lot of what they do. It's familiar to me because every once in a while. They'd send my butt down to a floating dry dock uh, and we'd uh, be banging out something that the uh, salvage crews had floated and brought in for repair.
1: But my point here is that these, these, uh, call them documentaries or reality shows or whatever, have been successful at glamorizing. Uh, uh, you know communities and industries and occupations that don't get a lot of notice. All right, and what I think then is that we and I'm not kidding here. We need an aviation reality show. All right.
3: Oh yeah. We that need would to be find great.
1: like and I don't know. The first thing that comes to mind is uh, crop dusters. All right, because they're all crazy. All right, but you know some we gotta find some. Maybe it's Van Nuys or maybe it's some <laughs> other airport that's got a trap. Got a lot of uh, that's got a lot of. of How about GA- this? How about
4: this? How yeah. about this? go ahead the real traffic reporters of la
1: <laughs> oh okay no no that's got no, that's got
4: potential
2: work, work. That's it's got in potential. la yeah
0: we, we live can live do one in dc of, we yeah. can do dc very easily i know the guy who runs the show yeah runs the uh, traffic spotting operation
1: so i don't know it might be crop dusters it might be Talk traffic reporters me. it might just find a really cool airport that's got a lot of stuff going on and just kind of like film all different aspects of it you know huh. and um I think you should do freight dogs.
4: Oh, freight dogs would be. You, you great. could you could pick out a couple of FBO operations, yeah. uh, and 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 really have a, a near 24-7, 365 drama going yes. on. Yes, They're coming and going. I'm thinking of places S- like S- Signature Dallas. That would be the Wayne way to go. Vance or Van Nuys. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah,
3: they'll, it'll never happen. There's too many people who don't want to be photographed.
2: No,
1: no, wait a minute. Pants. I'm sorry. You're not watching these shows. Right. There's an incredible number of people who want to be photographed and will allow themselves to be embarrassed and made fun of and characterized as being stupid well, or And they got or, this or great digital blurring tool, yeah, right. you know, Anyways. they blur yeah, tool, that. they paces and tail numbers and... I'm very very yeah. serious. I think we need to find, and I'm not saying we should produce it, but I'm saying somebody who knows what they're doing ought to produce Good. an aviation because what if it's done right? And I don't, by the way, think it should be Signature Dulles because that it, it should be much more grassroots aviation, or it should be Signature Dulles and the GA field. That's you know, um, you know, so uh, because we want to popularize aviation, we want to show people yeah, how yeah. interesting it is and exciting it is, and how there are characters and how there are people who are learning, and there's the whole. The whole, uh, uh, you know, community of of general aviation should be displayed in this reality show. I think it would be tonight. Cool. Ed, I was
4: on. I was an FBO caterer. The crisis arises when the G five crew well, rejects know, the catering because it's not Ghirardelli chocolate. How are they going
0: to fill in? Will they rewrap Dove bars?
1: All right. <laughs> All right. All right.
4: I so,
0: wanted. Yeah. I wanted Vat sixty nine, not Maker's Mark.
1: Welcome, folks, to episode 167 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Tuesday, January 5th, 2010, the first episode of a new year. And uh, let me welcome my friends uh, here in the virtual hangar. Uh, First of all, out there is uh, Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas, which would make a great, by the way, there's all kinds of airports around the Wichita area, would be great for a reality show, you
4: know, so. Actually, it would, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I could think of two or three things here, even during the slow times. Be a lot of people to help out. Yeah, right. Good evening, everybody. Happy 2010. Hope you're
1: off and running and uh, got airtime in your near-term future. Yeah. And also here is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Who's like all weepy and moaning because it's so cold in Florida. He's it's also got a cold here, man. He's also got but, a really bad internet lag tonight, so we're gonna have to like you know be patient with Jeb. Hi, Jeb. How are you tonight? Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm warm finally. I'm sitting in my little, uh, my little uh, cave with the little electric heater going and the wind is howling outside and, and all this kind of thing. But uh, actually, I think this reality TV thing, if they take somebody and run them through a sport pilot program from ab initio to, uh, you know, through solo and, uh, and all this kind of thing, that would be uh, an interesting uh, episode or an interesting program. Okay, and uh, we'll put that uh, on the list. Of course, I thought of it first, so I get the rights and all that kind of thing. But, yeah, uh, uh, that's what that's what someone should. do.
1: That's what someone should do. And also, uh, uh, back yeah, after absolutely. a little bit of an absence, we're glad that uh, Amy Labota is back with us again. Uh, also, talking to us from uh, Chile, Florida, Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Amy.
3: Hi. It is so wonderful to be back and seeing you guys and. 2010, okay, not seeing. I, I'm seeing your 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 avatars, your icons.
1: Symbolically, there. that's right. You're <laughs> seeing. Symbolically,
3: this. exactly. Yeah. And waves, glasses are pretty cool.
1: Are pretty cool. Yeah.
3: So I have to ask, has everybody taken their, their first flight of 2010?
1: I have not. <gasps> not on oh.
3: You haven't? No. See, now, no. I went to Venice in, of all things, the Kit Fox, which is… Did you? You know, only moderately removed from an open cockpit plane, Mm -hmm. I might add. And it was quite chilly. Um, But I did with my daughter on Sunday. We went up and uh, had breakfast in the morning at the lovely uh, cafe right there on the field. Boy, they do a nice job. I need to get over there to have another mushroom brie burger. You know, Jeb? We are oh, overdue. Yeah,
0: we should. We we are overdue, and and um, I don't know about this weekend, but certainly one of the two or three come uh, upcoming weekends, <laughs> um, we should just make an arrangement to do that. What, oh, what, is, well, what I is everybody know. laughing about? I don't know. I
1: think if it's if it's I don't know, Dave. I'm laughing because of, uh, at the idea of a mushroom brie burger, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious. Are you kidding? Well, see, <laughs> at an airport,
0: that's, actually, that's, that's Amy's.
4: That sounds good. The uh, next two or three weekends, though, they're bound to run into one another at Sebring, which is like uh, well, this is also two weeks search. from That's tomorrow. Right. That's right. It
3: is. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So if we mm-hmm. don't meet each other in and, Sebring.
0: And Mr. Hodgson, we need to discuss your travel plan.
1: Yes, we need to talk about my my ta- travel plans. But before we do that or anything else, just let me uh, uh, say that I am Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from the home office here in Dover, New Hampshire. Where, uh, ironically, it's warmer than, than Wichita, apparently. Um, Dave was talking about it being in the uh, teens, uh, and it's not getting that cold right now here. So I guess yeah.
3: we're lucky. You're probably going to get snow.
1: Oh, we we're are, headed, as a matter of fact. We're that's headed the to a point where if the temperature tripled, we still wouldn't be warm enough to not need a preheat. So you went flying, Amy. That's kind of fun. Um,
3: yeah, and the kit kitbox started right up, which really surprised me. I did the jabru can be a little fussy sometimes on cold mornings, but uh did a little pull on the prop through and uh, the hanger was a little warmer than it was outside and it kicked right over. I think honestly, I think it just likes to fly. Yeah, you know, if you let it go a couple of weeks without flying it and can be fussy about yeah. starting. But boy, if you're flying it once a week, it's really nice. Yeah.
1: Now does your does a kit fox, does your kit fox have doors or is it open?
3: Okay, it has doors of a sort. Yeah, okay, I know. Yeah. It's got full Lexan doors, but uh, they're go wing doors that pop open and it, it at a heartbeat. Um, we've got very simple latching systems. Really the issue is that there are a lot of places where air can leak through. Yep. And none of them have ever been addressed because it didn't really matter. Right. So, and there's no, you know, there's no heating system. You basically, your feet are warmer because it's closer to the firewall.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it's probably not often that the words, these words, show up in a Florida weather forecast wind chill.
2: Yeah.
3: No, I mean it. it mm-hmm. I was listening to that on the way back this evening, on the on the car radio, and I was giggling because I was like, "You got to be kidding!
0: windshield. <laughs> that's
3: right. Yeah, but it's not going to be pretty for my grapefruit and my limes. So that's the real tragedy. Uh, although they're saying yeah. that they're. They're kind of happy about this cold snap because we have a we have a really bad issue with something called citrus greening, and they're hoping that it's going to kill a lot of the insects that are transmitting the diseases. So always hmm, was, a silver lining. Yeah. Always yeah. a silver
1: lining. Always a silver always a silver lining. Once again nature comes through. Nature hey. comes through. Hey, so the, the big thing I want to talk about this week is something that uh, we've sort of known a little bit about for some time now, but uh, for various editorial reasons, we haven't been able to talk about it. But, uh, Dave, you had quite an aviation adventure a couple months ago, and uh, and I-, I want to know all about this. Tell us what you did. Well, it's now, if you uh, if you happen to belong to EAA, Experimental
4: Aircraft Association, you should by now have gotten your January issue and all new design relaunch of the magazine very exciting very very nice job they did a lot of work and on page 28 of that is a little story that i was uh, fortunate to to draw the straw on to fly a uh... uh well at the time the only cessna Skycatcher approved in the united states and take it from san diego california to tampa florida yeah, so that it could be on the ramp and uh, and, and available for show and some tell uh, during the AOPA summit there at uh, at Peter O'Knight. So, uh, well, okay, October so 20, yeah. October twenty, October twenty eighth, bopped out to California from uh, from Wichita. October twenty ninth, the the pilot, my old uh, the Cessna pilot, my old friend Kirby Ortega, and I launched out of Montgomery Field and. Pointed ourselves uh, eastbound, kind of roughly following Interstate Ten as we went. Mm-hmm. Now, so I, we went to uh, Yuma. Well, uh,
1: hang on a second, Tucson. before uh, we, before you get, I want to hear yeah. you. I wanted you to tell us a little bit about the actual cross-country flight and the various places you visited and so forth. But first of all, tell tell us about the Skycatcher. What's the airplane like? Airplane is uh, it's
4: a, 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 a small, light, very responsive, uh, very comfortable. Uh, Two-seat LSA. Uh, it's a little different in the control architecture. The uh, the, the the stick, that, such as it is, uh, comes out of the panel and turns straight up so it looks like a center stick, except it's coming out from under the panel where a yoke might come, yoke rod might come. And it moves forward and backward for pitch, just like a yoke would. But for roll control, you don't twist the little pistol grip that you have. You
1: actually move it laterally in the horizontal plane left to right. Right. It's odd that way. Even though it comes out of the panel, it, it pivots as if, if, as if, and I guess in fact it is hinged down on the floor. Yeah, uh, it, well, it's it, it comes out from
4: under the panel, and the hinge point is back there behind the uh behind the gauges. Uh, and uh the most difficult part about the trip was dialing in a little bit to the airplane because there was no formal checkout. Uh I didn't spend a half a day and you know uh, an hour to two in the pattern doing touch and goes, getting a feel for it. We saddled up at Montgomery. I started the engine when Kirby said Head out. We got a clearance on the radio. I followed the taxiway, turned out on the runway, and he said, "The these are the speeds of lights. Go for it. Yeah. set the
1: tram and off we went." So, David, it's uh, so. What's it like? So that that odd uh, control stick is um, it? Turn out to be an issue trying to fly, or what's that like? Not really,
4: I mean, I was uh, a little ham-handed, even consciously trying to be light. Uh, the first hour and a half, two hours with the airplane because I did I did a takeoff, we turned uh downwind and headed uh east across the mountains coming out of San Diego and uh about an hour and twenty minutes later landed in uh Yuma and did my first landing there. Mm-hmm. Well in that time I got to uh, it very quickly understand that even as light as I was trying to be on the controls, I was not being as late as I needed to be. And by the end of the day, uh, about five hours and change cross-country in the airplane, uh, we landed at uh, uh, El Paso, Texas uh, just before sunset and was finally starting to dial in how little it took to make the airplane respond. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. really more a... Think about what you want to do. It does what you want to do. Uh, by the uh, end of the second day, I was starting to get a little better feel for how much you need to uh, pre plan your letdowns because the airplane doesn't slow down very well, uh, which is a nice thing. Low drag. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to figure things out a little bit farther out. I was expecting it to be draggier and quicker. It'll come down like a 150 or 152 or a Cherokee or something like that and not by a long shot uh, it glides much farther Uh Uh, visibility is great getting in and out of it's easy Uh, what about uh, climb and cruise performance uh, we pretty much pulled out we pretty much saw uh, slightly better than book cruise performance all the way across Uh, book which was not Final, uh but it was supposed to be final numbers. Uh showed a hundred and ten knots for cruise. Uh we were flying seventy five hundred uh MSL at temperatures that were generally low enough to make the density altitude lower than the actual altitude. So we were seeing a hundred and thirteen, hundred and fifteen knots. One stretch we saw one hundred and eighteen knots true. Mm-hmm. Uh we were running a little bit hard at that point trying to uh trying to get in another leg. How high were you flying? Generally seventy five hundred feet. Yep. And what about uh, climb? Does least, it climb very well? At until we got at least until we got past uh, uh the middle of Texas. Climb was pretty good. Uh seven hundred uh eight hundred feet a minute was uh was pretty consistent at about seventy indicated. Uh the uh laps came and went real easily. It's a big mechanical Johnson bar system uh, and they're very easy to handle and lock in well. Uh, seats are fixed and they were pretty comfortable. I was surprised uh, by the time I got dropped off at Hidden River. Uh, I had a little over 17 hours in the airplane and uh, none of the legs ever started feeling uh, butt numb or stir crazy or anything like that. Of course, I think two point three two point four hours was our longest leg in the airplane. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. the uh rudder pedals adjust forward and backward. Right. Which was really slick.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
4: And it had the Garmin G three hundred system in it. And that's uh, the other thing. So yeah how it was equipped how? Well with the a two screen version of the Garmin G three hundred. Which is only available on the Skycatcher. It's debuting. It's the it, that's its introductory uh, installation. Uh, 6.4, I think it is, 6.4 inch diagonal screen. Uh, on the left side, right in front of the pilot seat, uh, was the primary flight display version, which had the uh, attitude indication and air data on the upper half, and uh, a gyro compass depiction and uh, navigation data. On the lower half, Uh, then on the in the center was the transponder and a Garmin SL40 uh, uh, com, and that's a com only. Uh And above that, a row of switches. All the switches on the airplane, right there in the center, and then just to the right of that was another screen. Looked exactly like the one on my side, same buttons and knobs, uh, but that served as a primary. I mean, as a multifunction display. And we had the WX Works DataLink weather. Uh, we had uh, satellite radio. Uh, the airplane can be equipped with an autopilot, a true track. It was not in the airplane I flew. And the airplane can be equipped with a parachute, which also was not in the airplane I flew.
1: So you hand flew this thing all the way across the country, you and you and uh, your partner.
4: Yeah, Kirby Ortega, who's the chief uh, pilot at Cessna for uh, piston airplanes. Yeah. I so if know, someone
1: he was So much airman
4: on my private. So.
1: So as time goes on when people start getting checked out in this thing, what would you uh you know, is there any particular thing you'd call out to them? Look out for this or you'd be aware of that? Yeah.
4: Yeah, a couple of things that uh will speed you along. Uh a the airplane's very slippery. Uh it does not come down quickly. Uh distance wise uh-huh. when you start slow down and put flaps out to do your let down you're going to want to start a little farther out than you would in a one fifty 150 or one fifty two uh it just goes a lot farther on a foot of air uh even when you start to pull flaps in uh, once you get it below that part of the uh airspeed arc uh second uh if you're coming from something else, this like the majority of the light sport aircraft uh does not take much of a touch to control. Mm-hmm. Uh the architecture the design of the control linkage makes it a little less apparent on some airplanes than others. Uh, uh this airplane if you're coming cold and this is what you learn in you're going to dial into it pretty quickly. Uh if you're coming from something heavier uh you're Going to find yourself a, a little bit uh, heavy on the airplane, even when you think you're being light. The lighter you get, the easier it is to fly, the more fun it is. Uh, it feels bumps, but it rides the bumps really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so plan your letdown a little earlier, plan on a really light touch, uh,
1: and uh, sit back and fly the airplane the way it likes to. It, it, it's fun. Yeah, cool. So you've, uh, you've flown your, your share of cross-country uh, flights in your days. How, how does this compare to some of the other long cross-countries you've done? Uh,
4: I've got to be honest, the, uh, we, were, we were almost to the minute, 72 hours from when we took off to when we landed at Tampa Executive, which was the official end of the trip.
1: That's 72 actual clock hours. not, not 72 sorry. actual clock hours,
4: uh, Seventeen and change, or 17 of those flight hours. And uh, I honestly found it more comfortable and more, re- uh, more efficient than the uh, Cherokee 140 that we had years ago. Uh huh. And I'm not sure how much of that is because hmm. I've got a lot more time now than when we owned that Cherokee. So it's, I'm, a, I'm much more comfortable with the whole concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this airplane was very little work to fly. Uh, you know, it was very stable and went where you pointed it and, uh, and, and tended to want to stay there. Uh, the, uh, yeah. what the the weather awareness was as good as anything I've flown. I mean, anything that's got this kind of data link system in it. And and there've been many other airplanes that I've flown that had that kind of weather, uh, awareness, equipment where we were putting in twelve hundred, fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred miles in a day, two or three. And uh there's just no way getting around it. it. You know, that is if you're gonna do that kind of mileage uh with any regularity, uh however you get it, you it's really smart to have that kind of capability in the airplane, whether it's a handheld or a slate or built in. There's just the airplane's weather avoidance system uh made it apparent to us so far ahead of when we could have encountered, inadvertently encountered really holy crap, I don't want to be here weather. Uh-huh. Uh, that we were making alternate plans a stop ahead of time. Yeah. And then when we were en route to the new decision, the 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 stop that we'd changed to and were able to look in route and see that things were deteriorating our direction uh in a way not in the forecast. Uh we were able to make yet another new decision, uh basically a beam the airport where we wound up landing for the night. Uh-huh. And no it was, you know, VFR and know that if we got our butts in there and quickly that we wouldn't have to face anything that Turned into
1: a tall tale the next day
2: Yeah, So, yeah.
1: so what was uh, You know I just recently finished Reading a, a book that I really liked um, the Rinker Buck book Flight of Passage uh-huh, and, sure. uh, uh, and that's the story of uh, I won't go into the details of the story But basically of, uh, of a couple of guys Flying a, a Piper Cub uh, Cross country and, uh, and, the, and the part of that that makes me think of your flight Is getting through the Rocky Mountains How did you thread through the mountains And how high did you have to go And uh, how did that work for you uh well it's funny the 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 route we took I think at one
4: point we came off of our 7500 foot uh for just about 20 miles and came up to 8000 and then 8500 uh and I'm talking maybe a half a dozen miles that we were at 8500 uh and then started back down uh because the Low spots and the uh, overall elevation down there coming through Santa Fe uh, or coming through uh, El Paso and staying that far south really uh, reduces the amount of very, very high terrain that you got to deal with. If we'd have been coming up, uh, making the crossing up somewhere, say around Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it would have been a big different story there. You'd need to get above 10,000 feet for big stretches of it. And if you want to go direct, you need to get above 12. Uh, so it makes a big difference how how far north or south you make that east-west crossing. I
1: see. This was relatively easy. They also talk a lot about uh, the brutal turbulence that they found at the places where they were closest to the terrain. Did you see any of that kind of thing?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a stretch there. Uh, <laughs> About an hour out of uh, El Paso, when the uh, terrain clearance was down to maybe 1,500 feet uh, at our cruising altitude, and the sun was up and it, things had warmed up enough that uh, we 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 got a little bit of a ride. But it's you know it was October, uh, making that same passage in August probably would have made us uh, question our judgment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there were some really lumpy spots along the way, and the, uh, the airplane responded like you'd expect a 1,300-pound airplane to respond.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
4: It, so
1: what was it, the rest of your routing? It was pretty easy. Yeah. What was the rest of your routing,
4: David? <clears throat> we did, uh, I got a screenshot of the uh, MFD that showed all the stops and now I can't recognize some of them. We did Tucson. Uh we did uh College Station, Texas and Beaumont, Texas, which was our come up short spot on day 2. Uh really nice FBO there in a great big old great big old uh uh looks like airliner hangar. Uh, and they've made Restaurant booths out of tail fins off of old airplanes. Really? That's great. Yeah, cool. Uh, we did a uh, couple of little fields in uh, southern Alabama. We did T- Tallahassee for the night. That was uh, day three. Got to stop short at because we, uh, we run am- ran up against the back of weather. Uh El Paso was nice going in there at sunset and then leaving just after dawn. Uh Junction, Texas after El Paso. Junction was just a little airport out in the middle of almost nowhere. Uh and uh was 350 miles east of El Paso and it was a new decision as well. We'd planned for some place uh, about 100 miles Shorter, because we're you know we're true in about 115, right? Uh, well, we had tailwinds in excess of 40 knots that morning, mm-hmm. uh, so we decided to let it ride. We held the uh, we held the altitude. I mean, we held the uh, the airspeed, and we kept pretty close to the same time and route that we'd originally planned, which was to be about two hours and uh, and change. Uh two hours and ten, I think it was gonna be. But because of the tailwinds, instead of going uh two hundred and forty, two hundred and fifty miles, we went three hundred and fifty miles on a leg. Hmm. Would have been a different story going the other way, of course. So uh got to see a lot of nice places. Yeah. We, we now I'm assuming that you
1: stops. you flew this VFR. Did you do flight following or
4: did you just kinda of wander? Some stretches we did flight following, some stretches we didn't bother.
1: Yeah.
4: So uh, now Yep. Any well, other? It's just good to say, yeah, we didn't do any IFR because uh, the airplane it's not in its op specs.
1: Uh huh. Was it
4: equipped so, properly? Oh, it could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. we could have done IFR. We had all the right instruments. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, but uh, oh, one interesting thing, there was one point when we needed to visit with the fine folks at uh, Flight Service when the Regular uh, flight service frequency for where we were uh, was a duplex frequency. You know, one of those where you call on your VHF com mm-hmm. and you listen to them on a VOR frequency. Right. right? Well, the aircraft doesn't come with VHF nav. Hmm. So what'd so you that do? Op- that option doesn't exist. Uh, I think. It was me that said, "Well, try one twenty-two zero and see if somebody answers." And somebody did. Yeah, uh-huh. immediately told us that that duplex frequency is how they were supposed to be get, We were supposed to be getting a hold of them. And we told them that well that that's fine, but we couldn't comply. Yeah, lack the equipment.
1: So Jeb, you uh, you knew he was coming, but uh, what did you think when uh, this little airplane arrived at Hidden River?
0: um well i was I was actually hoping for some of the neighbors to be around uh, to get a, a, a close up uh, personal look at the airplane. Uh, unfortunately, um, because of the weather situation, they were basically a day late uh, getting in, but that's okay um, I, I had of course you know been up close and personal with uh, probably this airplane, if not certainly the mock-ups of it uh, before. And uh in talking with Dave as he as he worked his way east, uh uh kind of kept up with uh <clears throat> uh his uh his impressions of the airplane and, and uh um the, the the results of the trip and whatnot. Um the, the fit and finish on it looks really good. Um it's it's small. It it, it reminds me of a uh kind of a unnatural mating between a, a one fifty two and uh maybe a CT, uh l s a um it's it's got it's got that kind of um of a uh well oh, i don't know new century design to it but it's an all metal airplane uh unlike um uh some of the other l s a products out there so you 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 look start looking at the details of it and you see a traditional rivet uh, uh structure to it. Um, the panel is uh is the panel I, I, I like that, that Garmin three hundred box. Um um the uh I didn't I didn't sit in it so I can't really tell you how comfortable it feels or, or how the controls how readily the controls fall to hand or, or things like that. Um but um um it it of course it's got the uh, it's got the Continental low 200 and an engine in it so it, it sounds like a cessna it sounds like a uh, uh an airplane that uh, uh you know i kind of sort of grew up on um I, I think it's a very fitting successor to the 150 152 line uh it's it's clearly um designed i think to be a training slash personal aircraft it's clearly um backed very strongly by Cessna. It clearly has a, a market uh, awaiting its uh, mass arrival. Um, it, it, it should be, um, no, knock wood, it, it should be something to the extent that the LSA industry at this stage needs any kind of a legitimacy boost. Uh, it should be the thing to give it. I, I'm not sure Given the the maturity of the LSA community and industry at this stage, that it it, it, it needs uh, Cessna's imprimatur of uh, of legitimacy. Uh, there's there's plenty of people out there that are doing very good things with LSAs nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but it is significant. It is significant. Finally, that Cessna is in that market right. and they have a very good product uh, to, uh, with which to uh, to, yeah. so, um, to
1: to uh, both. Amy and Jeb, uh, I've been monopolizing David here. Uh, do you guys have any questions for yeah. him about the adventure?
3: Uh, I, you would you, know, would I, you do it again? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Would you do it again? There you go.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
4: Amy, I, go ahead. And i add a couple of days if I had to do it westbound. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. yeah.
3: It's probably a good idea. We had to do it in two days in the RV-10, which uh, is considerably quicker.
1: Yeah. Amy, did you have a question?
3: Uh, no, I was just going to make the comment that uh, Jeb mentioned uh, the all metalness of the airplane, and I recently got to fly one of one of the Skycatchers competitors, the Paradise, which is also all metal and comes out of Brazil. Um, oh,
4: you've been visiting with Chris? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love him.
3: Anyhow, they're great, great people, and talk about fit and finish—they're gorgeous.
4: It's a
1: beautiful airplane. It is. Yeah. 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 So the Skycatcher, David, um, I have to tell you that uh, that uh, myself and a whole bunch of UCap listeners now, I'm sure, are insanely jealous of you. If we weren't already, Um, very very cool. Uh, And uh,
4: the article. Why would you have been
0: jealous of him already?
1: uh, I wasn't, but they were. (laughs)
4: Um, They're going to start showing up at you know Cessna pilot centers and and uh, uh, Cessna sales ops here. Uh, they've got a, over a thousand of them on order, and, uh, a little over half of those are two individuals, which tells you something about the marketing horsepower of the company. Uh, but if you're going into it expecting, you know, like just a spiffed-up version of a 152, uh, you really need to, uh, throw your butt into one of these. It's either, easier to get in and yeah, out of. Yeah. It's much wider. Uh it's a, a lot more comfortable uh got about the same kind of payload and luggage space uh, and uh, it, it flies differently
2: yeah yeah yeah
3: that's that's the key thing about these uh new airplanes uh you made You made a big point of the fact that it's so slippery and that it's got such a nice glide ratio.
4: That's where all that
3: efficiency's coming from, right? That's right.
4: That's right. Uh, I've never flown a one hundred and fifty or one hundred and fifty-two. Well, I take it back. I flew a hundred and fifty horse one hundred and fifty once. That would pull about one hundred and twenty knots. Uh, but I've never flown a regular hundred horse one hundred and fifty or one hundred and fifty-two that would come close to one hundred and fifteen knots true.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Uh, under any configuration. Hmm. And I've flown a, a couple of 150s on day trips where I was actually in the airplane flying for five hours before the day ended. Uh, for some reason, and it's been long enough that I can't really elicit what it was, I was extremely happy to be out of that airplane at the end of that five hour plus right, flying. Day. Right, yeah. Uh, well, at the end of my first five hours in the Skycatcher, I was just glad that we'd made such great mileage, and I knew there was going to be a good Texas steak dinner at the end of the night. (laughs) Uh, It had nothing to do with the – and and it had been a long day. It had nothing to do with uh, being glad, per se, to get out of the airplane.
1: So the article you wrote is uh, is in what would it be the January issue of Sport January Aviation? January issue of Sport Which is Aviation. Just arriving right. in members mailboxes right now. I actually haven't gotten mine yet, so I'm a little bummed. I'm looking forward well, to it'll, seeing it. it hasn't mine yet it's,
4: it's wrapped in a big in, in a plastic bag that says you spoke we listened. Ah, okay. Yeah, they made put a, put a it bunch back. of changes, right. Yeah. Oh, it's a bunch of
1: changes. It's a new magazine. But I've heard from I've heard from a number of people throughout the day today on Twitter who uh, who made the connection between our little teaser last week uh, and uh, and the article that they saw in their magazine today. So and they were saying it was a great article; they really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not surprised, and I'm looking forward to seeing it myself. Well, so, if you haven't seen it yet, the uh,
4: cover is a is a, is a huge departure in format for Sport Aviation. Oh uh, really. Well, we'll take a look at it. Um, really, absolutely. the aircraft is unique. Yeah, it's not the sky catcher on the cover, but it's beautiful. So,
1: Sport Aviation, um, a magazine, is only available to EAA members. Uh, you have to be a member uh, to get it or to look at it online. Uh, if you're not a member of EAA, I really think you should be. Uh, even once upon a time, EAA was largely for people who built their own airplanes, but that's really not the case for a long time now. And uh, if you're a fan of aviation uh, uh, and want to meet other people and see what, what other people are doing, and, and you. you ought to be a member of EAA. so uh, and you get the magazine with dave's story in it too, so we got to move sure. on here we uh we got uh, we, we're gonna have a chance to talk about anything else oh that's a really great story. I really appreciate uh, your being able to well, tell it to us I, finally. I
4: appreciate the chance to finally get to vent about it a little bit because yeah. uh, uh it, you know it's been been a couple of months and it's been hard to sit on most of the details and as it worked out, the story is lighter on the details that they asked me to include than we originally than they originally thought so uh there was a lot of little points of interest and fun and adventure along the way that just didn't make it into the copy well i'm sure we'll get more of those stories
1: as time goes on here yeah yeah hey amy so you've got a bird problem what's the deal here
3: Ah oh, yes, we do, and not only do we have a bird problem, but they—they they happen to be what's known as uh, the Florida sandhill crane, and they're—they're they're a threatened species.
1: Right. Yeah.
3: Which let's start out by even explaining. More challenging. Yeah,
1: let's start out by explaining to people who don't already know that that although we may or may not name it, you do in fact live on a residential air park down there in uh, in southern Florida. Yes, uh, I do. And yeah. and so you know, it's not like you can call in the feds if you've got a bird problem here. You got to deal with this stuff, right?
3: Actually, you can call in the feds. Oh, really? But what okay. What they do is they say, "Hmm, <laughs> you're going to need a permit for that." <laughs> That's
2: right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, yeah, this the one one of the things that got everybody in this in this neighborhood thinking was obviously it's been almost a year, right? And and the geese versus Airbus three hundred and twenty.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, okay,
2: bird strike, okay. yeah,
3: bird strike, exactly. And uh, interestingly enough, Peter Garrison recently wrote a very interesting uh, story in Flying Magazine, February issue, I think. Uh, but it is out, and it's entitled Bird Strike, just the same. And he gets into some statistics that were absolutely mind-boggling. About uh, 92% of of bird versus plane happens below 3,000 feet.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: a whopping 60% happens at 100 feet above the ground
2: or yeah. less. Okay.
3: Okay. Um, and here... In our neighborhood, these sandhill cranes, which weigh about seven pounds, stand about four feet tall, have a huge wingspan. We've got more than a dozen of them now, mm-hmm. and they don't migrate. they never yeah, leave
4: really they're permanent population they're
3: permanent population oh, they're not wow. afraid of cars, people, airplanes don't intimidate them dogs, you know um well, that's
4: kind of a good thing then because uh they're they're going to have learned to stay out of the way of your airplanes.
2: <laughs> okay,
1: sounds like there's a story there. What happened?
2: Yeah,
3: but look at the size of that possible brain.
2: <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we seriously. have
3: had we have had car versus sandhill crane incidents, and we have had airplane versus sandhill crane incidents. Fortunately, none of them have been fast enough; i.e., the airplane hadn't actually lifted off, um, and and so it's not hurt anybody yet and i my emphasis is on yet because uh you look at the numbers and you know when you're going fast and you hit a bird it's no longer a seven pound bird
4: oh right no you got that whole energy thing going for you
3: yeah, and if you do the math on it, it can get downright scary. And if you're going fast enough, for instance, we've got a neighbor who operates a Learjet out of here. We've got a neighbor with a citation. Uh, you could actually be the equivalent of hitting a small car at fifteen, twenty miles an hour.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, go ahead.
3: I, I can mm-hmm. tell you that the wing of the airplane's not stressed to take that. And in fact, the Pelican versus citation, the Pelican and the citation came out damaged enough that all souls on board were lost. Yeah. Back in uh uh that was actually the accident that Peter Garrison used to frame his article. Mm hmm. So the so answer is
2: yeah. you there's don't a lot more of them than there are us. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Amy,
1: what are you guys trying to accomplish now? Uh, do you think well, you're going to get rid of them, or what?
3: We well, there's there's a real problem with getting rid of them. First of all, it's very very difficult to get a permit to relocate or um, otherwise get rid of them. Uh-huh. I I can't say that any nicer than that. Um, when asked. When we asked the Fish and Game Commission exactly what they meant by that otherwise thing, and we said, you mean kill them, right? Yeah, Yeah, he said. (laughs) But we don't like to call it that.
0: Yeah. Um, Permanently relocate. Yeah. Yeah.
3: The problem is you can't relocate these birds because these birds imprint, and they will come back from 300, 500 miles away. Yeah. So they're coming back. Uh, We can, however, get a permit for fireworks much more easily. And this is, in fact, what the Fish and Grain Commission recommended to the neighborhood, is that you start by setting off fireworks very close to where they're roosting. So you got to determine where are they going to sleep at night, where are they getting up in the morning, and get close to them around sunset, and get close to them around sunrise, and just...
1: And Maybe what, like firecrackers or, or, or rockets, or what are you talking
3: about? Oh, they're thinking, you know, the sound of a potato gun.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> so just yeah. piss them off, and they'll go away. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. I, we have a listener to... who doesn't like it when I say pissed off. I'm it's sorry, go a, ahead. Yeah. yeah,
3: It's a, uh, you know, 75-unit residential area. <laughs> and who else are go- are they going to upset at sunrise and sunset?
0: That's right. well, i i recently discovered amy and maybe you know a little bit more about this and, and somehow i discovered this on new year's eve uh, I, I don't understand why but there's apparently some kind of a loophole in florida law with respect to acquisition of fireworks and oh, yes. if you if you are supposedly using these fireworks for for bird eradication or bird uh, displacement or whatever the correct uh, uh, reeducation permit,
2: Re-education,
0: I like that. Yeah, that's a good, I like that. Um, Then you're exempt or or you can get fireworks from retailers that you might not be otherwise eligible to buy.
3: Well, in Uh, fact, fireworks in general, just for the fun of it, are illegal in Florida.
0: ah. And in
3: fact, everyone who purchases fireworks in Florida legally has signed this form. Okay, okay. Yeah. Now now you understand how it works. We used to have to go to Georgia or Alabama or Mississippi uh-huh, to right, our fireworks. Right. But as you might imagine, this far deep into Florida, and we're a couple hundred miles deep in Florida, right. that was somewhat inconvenient.
0: That's why we have airplanes, though. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, <laughs> Here's the thing,
4: and, and this is not unjust, and it's not without sympathy to your problem, but uh, I've got a friend with an airport that has a pond near the end of one of the of the runway. That has had a year round population of geese,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and they drained the pond. Yeah, and the geese left.
3: I believe and it. I then, believe that then, you then, go to those extent to get rid. And then they of? came
4: back. Oh, <laughs> even and without they the back, pond, they, have, they come back in the winter. Yeah, they come back in the winter because where the pond used to be now has. All this winter dormant vegetation that they can munch on and bed down in and stay warm. But as a recurring permanent population, they are very in tune with the airplanes coming and going there. Uh, near the airport is a waterway that drains the Arkansas and the Little Arkansas Rivers so they don't flood downtown Wichita and it drains the rivers way up north of town and dumps the water back into the Arkansas River way down south of town well that waterway has become part of the natural landscape as far as migratory birds are concerned particularly waterfowl uh where we have and that puts them in close proximity to Wichita Midcontinent Airport the birds, I'm told, that we have the most problem with at this private airport and continent, are not the indigenous population. They're the migrant. They're the migrants, the ones passing through. Uh, and I believe when they did the analysis on the birds that were ingested by the uh, uh, U.S. Air's Airbus. Those were ones transiting the area as opposed to part of the permanent Manhattan population of of, of Canada geese. Uh, They do learn. The ones that stay around, they do learn. That doesn't mean that you still won't run in, you know, have one of them come close to running into you. But they're more aware of you coming and going, and just like they imprint on an area, they get used to certain things being part of the traffic.
1: Yeah. Uh, Amy, those numbers that you told us earlier about uh, about bird strikes are pretty sobering. Is there anything uh, that a pilot can do to, I mean, is it just a see and avoid thing? Or uh,
3: Well, it's it's complicated because the answer is, A, it, uh, if I tell you this, it's really going to bother you. A third of these happen at night. You cannot see that. Mm-hmm. True. the radar True. guys absolutely have tuned out as purely extraneous anything that might be a bird um they, they they're not going to pick it up even though sometimes you can pick up a, a flock of birds on radar they're their primary you know yeah, reflection
1: right you exactly. don't squawk 1200
3: no, they don't squawk 1200, it's well, true.
1: And they're not they're when not carrying an awful lot of metal, so that's not going to be a, you know.
3: Right. Yeah. When they're migrating, they're all at the same altitude, which is how something like a double engine out can happen, because you're going to hit them. You're going to hit more than one, most likely. Yeah. Um. So you need to understand that. And uh, it's not easy to predict where they're going to go so much as if you see a flock migrating and they're in that perfect V, you can know they're at the same altitude and avoid the altitude, eyeballing them, avoid them. Um, If you see them, but you're moving a lot faster than they are, and the odds that you're going to see them are slim, and your best shot at, at avoiding any bird, and this is if you think you can, is on a takeoff or a landing when you're still at a slow enough airspeed where you can do something about it. And then I say, if you think you can, because that's right. not a safe time to be maneuvering. Right. Honestly. Yeah. Um, it's a conundrum. I'll tell you what, I see the most birds in my kit box because it's small, it's quiet, and I'm going slow. And I have looked eagles in the eye literally mm-hmm. had the bird turn and look at me
0: <laughs> kind of cool actually yeah
3: him. and it's very cool i have to tell you it's very very cool but that only happens because i'm slowed it's down it's very annoying I, I, yeah, i've been in i've been in thermals mm-hmm. with birds um both in a glider and also in the kit fox and in those situations you don't see the bird hit the airplane or the glider because you're doing the same thing the bird is doing, and you're kind of in sequence right. together. And trust me, the bird's better at it than you. Um, but you can learn a lot from that, and it's very common for glider pilots to go look for the thermaling birds.
2: Right. Yeah.
4: Well, there's a an interesting movie, if you're a fan of uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins or uh, maybe Alec Baldwin, uh, <laughs> called The Edge. And in this movie, which uh, was written by David Mamet, quite, quite an a extraordinary writer, Yeah. Uh, in the movie The Edge, uh, this big captain of industry is married to a much younger woman who's a fashion model, and uh, the, the, the husband, the model, and a hot-stuff single photographer are up in Alaska doing a big high-fashion shoot. When husband and photographer and photographer's assistant go off in a uh, in in a uh, De Havilland Beaver on floats, looking for a guy to be a character in the shoot, and when he's not at his home cabin, which is on a big lake, they go to the lake. They start flying to the lake where his note says that they will be, and about halfway between where they started and where they finished. The uh, Beaver encounters uh, a, a flock of about a hundred Canada geese at their altitude reciprocal heading, and the scene the first time I saw it was in a movie theater and it sent chills through me like nothing ever had about the next time I got in an airplane because we 'd had some close encounters, particularly in the Southeast United States over the years, going down to Florida and coming back and uh, if you ever get a chance, watch that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that will yeah.
4: make you acutely aware of how much you want to avoid running into a bird really? or a bunch of birds. Yeah.
2: We, we got. Uh,
3: I I have a lot of experience. You know, my neighbor took a buzzard through the windscreen of his Cessna three hundred and ten, uh-huh. uh, which did horrible damage. Lucky it didn't hurt him. He was able really? to land the airplane. Uh, I have had a colleague, a flight instructor, take a uh, we never quite knew what it was, could have been a seagull, through the windscreen of a Cetabria mm. and cut his head so bad he was bleeding terribly. And he was able to bring it back in and land it. And uh, also a colleague who took a goose head on, head on at 10,000 feet in a citation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Do the, I,
4: had the, a, I had a sandpiper bird strike landing at Meridian, Mississippi years ago. But that's a bird that weighs maybe six ounces. Mm -hmm. But it got hit by a gust, came through the prop without hitting any of the blades, and hit the windshield just above the base. Yeah. And the tower was watching, waiting for me to crash because it was really gusty and gnarly that day. And the airplane ahead of me had actually drug a wingtip enough to damage it. So, you know, the guys are watching and watching and. Is it? They gave me the turn off. Contact ground. Did you just have a bird hit you? Yep. Then he sent somebody out to pick it
1: up. Uh huh. Yeah. You want yeah. to file a bird strike report? Sure. Why not? Does the <laughs> so uh, we we got to wrap this thing up. But I I'm curious about one other aspect of this. So uh, does all these all these bird strike data that you you were looking at. I mean, is it is there anything? typical about the kind of damage that you see is there anything that you can expect that you can prepare for that you can you know or is it just a crapshoot and it's just going to be some sort of random damage and you may be able to fly and you may not
3: yeah i think it has a lot to do with speed how fast mm. are you going right the faster you're going the higher the impact it's just like with an automobile, and. Automobiles that have head-on collisions at low speeds versus at high speed. So the higher the speed of the aircraft that you fly, the more likely you're going to see some significant damage if you encounter uh, a bird, a significant-sized bird, at cruise speed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. David, you've mentioned, I think it's you, David, who have mentioned in the past um, that your one of your airplanes had a particularly thick and robust windshield. Maybe the one that you struck this bird you we were just telling us about. The one I struck the bird with, well, and
4: then you'll find it in Jeb's as well. You've got an upgraded windshield, right, Jeb?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It,
4: so, and we upgraded the windshield in our Comanche Uh two reasons. One was to get rid of this uh, split windshield. You know, there was a left half and a right half with a post in the middle, which was a pain in the butt to look around. But the big deal was getting to put a quarter-inch acrylic in that was also bowed out to give it extra structural integrity. And uh, it would take a much heavier bird strike and retain its integrity than the glass that we took out. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also quieter. All of right. you know these were all, you know, win-win wins as far as we were concerned.
1: Right. So, do you really feel like the the the, the beefier windshield is going to protect you from most bird strikes, or or is it really still a crapshoot? Well, it's it's always going to be a crapshoot. I mean, the uh, the bird that
4: could get through the old windshield, the the minimal bird it would take to actually get through the old windshield was not going to get through the new one it would take a bigger boor, bird but you know it's kind of like what size car you drive the bigger the car the heavier the car you safer you feel until you remember there's almost always something bigger and and heavier out there well you know if you run into a sandpiper that weighs maybe you know uh, a half a pound versus a sandhill crane that weighs 7 versus a canada goose that might weigh 10 or 12 uh versus some other birds that might get up into the twenties. Uh mass equals energy, velocity equals energy. Like Amy says, the faster you go you can count on the greater the damage. Uh also the heavier the bird, the greater the damage. So Absolutely. any issue you give yourself, you know, is worth giving yourself. Yeah.
3: Understand yeah. the machines are only certified at cruise speed with a four pound frozen chicken carcass. Yep. <laughs>
1: and it 's supposed to be a thawed carcass that 's right we 've been down there mythbusters mythbusters. <laughs> well, we need to wrap this thing up we 're having too much fun um, uh, some great great stories uh I, I i should mention that uh today this is what I say January fifth today was a very surreal day in uh, aviation news um, and uh, uh, we don't usually do breaking news here, and we're not going to start today. But I just want to mention that uh, we're going to talk about these things in the future. We had, uh, we sadly had at least one fatal, fatal accident today. Um, uh, there were rumors of another one um, and two very bizarre airport security incidents. Uh, so uh, we'll talk yeah, about those yeah. more in the future, um, uh, hopefully to learn something from all of the circumstances. Anyways, uh, shout-outs. Let's see now. Um, I'm going to start off with the great Kansas news, and David, you can elaborate on it. Um, but there was a bit in the news, I saw on the web today, that uh, that Cessna is recalling a bunch of uh, furloughed uh, workers. Uh, and uh, if that's true, that sounds like a great sign to me. What do you know about that? As much as you do. Yeah. This is uh, a, a story, let's see what the story is from here. It's... Uh, What's KWCH? That's a TV station, channel twelve. That's one of our local TV stations. Yeah, that's the CBS affiliate. One hundred and eighty Cessna workers returning to work. Uh, it may not make. This is I'm reading from the story. It may not make up for thousands of aviation job losses, but it's a start. Cessna announced Monday it was calling back one hundred and eighty laid-off workers. They'll be working on the assembly line for the Cessna Citation Sovereign. So it's a start. It's a start.
4: That's it. It, it, yeah, that's that's a that's a good thing. I mean, uh, when you Cessna in particular has dropped about eight thousand 8, jobs uh, since uh, about November, December of two thousand eight. Uh, total lost in the community, direct about thirteen thousand. So one hundred and
1: eighty going back to work. Wow. You know. Uh, all trends got to start somewhere yeah so it's good news we congratulate the uh the cessna workers that uh, have returned to work and and uh go go cessna and go go the aviation economy another one i've got here is uh so we're reaching the point in the year where, where we are just about equally distant between last oshkosh and next oshkosh and uh uh, so it's kind of fitting that I saw a little tidbit. I've heard about this in the past, but there was a tidbit on on uh, Twitter today uh where our 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 good buddy Dick Napinski um was crowing about the fact that they are trying to put together a very very special thing for next summer uh, uh to commemorate the 75th birthday of the DC3. Um, they're trying to attract as many DC-3s as possible. And they're toying with the idea that they may get like 30-plus DC-3s. Uh, which There's would be, a lot of them still flying. Basically. Yeah, and get them all. I remember back when, uh, uh, on the 50th anniversary of the Doolittle Raid, uh, they had a whole bunch of uh, B-25s. And uh, that was pretty cool. I mean, there were a lot of them. Well, uh, well and remember,
4: Basler, uh, one of the FBOs at Oshkosh, has a separate company called or right. turbine conversions and that's converting DC3s to PT6 turboprop engines. So the Bassler folks have a pretty extensive rolodex on who operates DC3s yeah. still.
1: So it could be pretty cool. We could have a pretty serious flock of DC3s at uh, at Well, uh,
4: the DC3's not the only big anniversary worth kicking uh, crowing about at Oshkosh. Got one of them coming up in a little over a week. Uh, about a week out here in January will be the 50th anniversary of the very first flight of the very first Piper Cherokee at Vero Beach, Florida, in 1960. Sweet, uh, which I think that's pretty cool.
1: Nice, yeah. So, uh, looking forward to Oshkosh. Looking forward to coming in Oshkosh to celebrate 50. Yeah. So. I always look forward to this little turning point where we're closer to the next Doshkosh than we were to the previous one. And, uh, and of course, uh, Sun and Fun's coming up soon, too. We're going to start talking about that a lot as uh, as the week's progress. Sun and Fun's
2: here. coming
4: up soon. Uh, Sebring and the Light Sport Expo is coming up even
1: sooner. Yep, yep. So those are my two shout-outs. Uh, actually, I've got one more, but I'll give you guys a chance. Any, any shout-outs?
3: I want to shout out your shout out. I thought that Mike the Mustang. Who came up with that? What a cute show! Yeah,
1: please do. I thought it was cute too. It's a uh, it's a kids' video. It's a, a, a animated uh, thing where uh, uh, it's it's. There have been these. I, I seem to think I've seen this kind of thing before. You know, there have been truck shows. You know, it's like basically uh, talking vehicles. All right, you know, with little faces on the grill and so forth. And it's
3: uh, it's cars with airplanes.
1: Yeah but it's uh it's uh, the the episode we've seen uh that's on the uh the the uh, the one i saw is actually a video that's embedded at uh, the airshowbuzz.com uh, website but uh and i we probably figure out exactly where it comes from but uh, it's uh it's the first episode and it tells the story about uh an airport that's got a bunch of interesting airplanes that are all kind of trying to one up each other and there's like an f uh, fighter plane of some sort and there's a wow Mustang. that sounds
4: like the reality show you were talking about earlier
1: yeah, yeah, only yeah, that's in right.
3: animated form. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then there's a Jeep. <laughs> yeah,
4: well, they, see, that that's that's much more reliable than having to depend on human talent. Yeah. So.
1: But the, so st- as the story goes, there's also a Jeep on the airport, and the Jeep just wants to fly. It's really cool because the Jeep has, like, uh, learned to fly stickers on its bumper, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I love flying, you know, it's like real stickers are on this animated Jeep's bumpers. And he, he just watches all these airplanes, and he wants to go flying. And, and the episode is all about his attempts to fly and how his airplane buddies. Eventually, get him up in the air, and it's uh, you know, so uh, it's kind of cool, it's kind of cool, yeah. It's called, but
3: but I liked it, it's called Mike, Mike the Mustang. Mike right? the
1: Mustang is the main character, that's right.
3: I I liked it because I thought there were some really good values being uh put out there for kids,
1: yeah, you know. Yep, it's a good it's an it's a nice video. I don't exactly know where it's headed whether it's going to be on regular TV or just on the internet, but uh but we'll put a link on the show notes and uh, probably in the forums and we'll let people know how to find this. It's kind of cool. Chances are you could just google Mike Da DA Mike Da Mustang and uh, find the video. It's really
3: cool. I bet you I bet you right about it. It's the kind of cartoon I would have let my kids watch at that age.
0: Oh, there we go. Other shout outs, David, Jeb I, just uh, keying up on on uh, Amy's uh, discourse about birds, uh, I just just a shout out to all the deer here around uh, uh, Hidden River. Uh, thanks for you know staying out of the way and uh, uh, you do your thing and, and I'll do my thing and and uh, never the twain shall meet.
1: Yeah, here, here, yeah, absolutely, David. Yes,
4: uh, I was going to give a, a a shout out to all of our friends who at Sun and Fun, at uh, EAA, at Oshkosh. Uh, You know, we we are into the calendar year now for their next events, as you were talking about us being closer to the next Oshkosh than than from the last one. A lot of hard work ahead, and I know these folks are already crunching through it. Uh, For those of you that are thinking about it, it's not too early to start planning on it. For those of you that, haven't thought about it now's a good time to start thinking of it uh and uh, real quick i've known for you know longer than than i can really put into words that uh, sport aviation eaa's uh flagship was going through a major redesign and as mr pobresny tom pobresny calls it in the uh in the, in the in the new magazine a total reintroduction of sport aviation and why they do it Having been on the editorial staff of magazines that were going through the depth and extent of redesign that you guys just went through, uh, man, my hat's off to you. Uh, I think you did a great job. I think it looks great. It reads well. Uh, Would even if my name was nowhere near it, uh, that has nothing to do with it. And my hat's off to what you guys have been through, because I really wouldn't want to do that again in my lifetime. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> well, it's definitely time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, uh, Amy Laboda. it's great to have you back in the hangar. We missed you, and uh, we're going to get our act yes, together indeed. and try and have you here more often. Uh, Amy is a uh, freelance aviation writer and the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Amy, where can people find you on the Internet?
3: They can find the magazine at AlphaFoxWhiskeyDigital.org, AFWDigital.org, or the organization at WAI.org. And thank you so much. It is just delightful to hear you guys and hang out with you guys again.
1: Dave Higdon, as always, it's been fun. Dave is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet?
4: Oh, avbuyer.com, davehignan.biz, aea.net, aviationsafety.com, and
1: uh, now uh, eaa.org. Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet?
0: Well, same old place. Aviationsafetymagazine.com is the day job. Uh, j e is the personal website, which I need to update here, uh, in the very near future. Um, occasionally I'll pop up on AvWeb and occasionally I'll pop up on, uh, uh aviationconsumer.com.
1: And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. As always, thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes, his scoffery in the forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips that we run at the beginning of every episode. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much, just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage wiki. of fame, and more. Wiki. All of that wiki. is at uncontrolled airspace.com wiki david what were you going to
4: say i added 17 hours to my lifespan in october by flying from coast to coast go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your
1: lifespan bye bye that's right that's enough talking let's go flying
3: i'm out of
4: here
0: the concept of another 17 hours of dave higdon is just something i, I haven't gotten my arms around <laughs> in.
4: but i never opened the window once what you're dealing with, yeah. <laughs> Does your home even have a furnace?
3: No. <laughs>
2: That's what I thought. Are yeah. you kidding?
3: You can turn is... the air conditioner upside down and, and make it blow hot air, but it's not fun. I hate it. I don't like <laughs> the
0: it. It is fucking cold down here. It's I don't know about cold. where.
3: Don't you have a fireplace or something, though? I don't even have I, I
0: I don't have a fireplace. I have heat pumps, but I'm in the office with the room shut. And, you know, one of these oil-filled radiator, electric radiators, keeping the room warm. That's the only way I can get warm. Even the office was cold. You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Whoa, Are, you guys know. Are you guys done now? Okay, here. Boo-hoo.
2: <laughs> Thank you.